Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I will read the entirety of the chapter, but we'll be focusing in more specifically on verses 16 through 25, and then even further within that, especially on uh, verse 19, where we find a description of the deadness of Abraham's body and of Sarah's womb. Romans chapter 4, beginning the reading in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Though not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
he who is delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a question that Paul will raise later in chapter 7. But even before we get to chapter 7, we begin to anticipate that question as we go through the book and we consider the condition of the human body up to this point in the book of Romans. By way of review, we are going through Romans, paying attention to that specific theme of the human body. And so far, things are not um, going well for the human body apart from Christ. In fact, they cannot go well for the human body apart from Christ. And so you may remember in chapter 1 how we looked at the, righteous, uh, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and how there was a bodily consequence to the revelation of that wrath, that there are those who are turning away from worshiping God, that they are handed over to their uh, dishonored passions, and then the end result is that they find that their bodies are dishonored as they engage in these uh, dishonorable behaviors. But then as we continue into chapters 2 and 3, we find that the law is no help for those whose bodies are, uh, are condemned. As we read in chapter 3, we found a description of the human body which was being uh, condemned by the law, that the law gave its assessment of the bodies that are under it. And its assessment was that their throats were an open grave, that their tongues were deceitful, that there was the venom of vipers under their lips. And not just their, their mouths, but even down to their feet. Their feet were swift to shed blood. And then back up to the head again, there's no fear of God before their eyes. So that all those who are under the law also find themselves in this uh, position of being condemned by the law, of being liable and subject to God's wrath. And so we anticipate Paul's later question. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this dead body? In chapter 4, we now come to a fuller development of how it is that we are delivered from that end. How it is that our bodies receive new life, though subject to death. And in our text this evening, we'll learn that dead bodies may live again, by faith in the God who gives life to the dead. Dead bodies may live again by faith in the God who gives life to the dead. So as we consider this idea, we'll, we'll first look at Abraham's dead body. Secondly, we'll look at Abraham's living faith. And then thirdly, we'll look at Abraham as the father of those who would receive righteousness as a gift. So first, Abraham's dead body. And look again with me at that description of Abraham's body and of Sarah's womb in verse 19. His body is described as dead or as good as dead since he was about 100 years old 
And we're also told that he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. So as we think about Abraham's dead body, we need to think about it in, in the context of, of Romans and, and what this idea of death as exercising a dominion, sin and death as, as reigning powers that are manifesting their, their rule in a body. And so as we read about Abraham's body being as good as dead because he was 100 years old in Sarah's womb, we ought not to just simply read this in a sort of medicalized kind of way. That this is a just a, a natural a part of uh, of humanity, sin out of the picture. That Abraham has a an old body, uh, uh, good as dead body, and, and Sarah has a, a medical condition. Instead, we should read this description of a dead body and a dead womb in light of the the greater picture of death that is presented to us in the Book of Romans. Namely, that death is the outworking of sin. It's, it's sin reaching its final stage. That where there is a dead body, sin is not far off. And so as we consider Abraham as one whose body was as good as dead, we understand this then to mean that Abraham was a sinner. That Abraham was one who was experiencing the effects of sin in this life, which had as its terminus death. And that death was coming to manifestation in his body and in Sarah's womb. So consider that Abraham was a sinner. That he needed to be counted and reckoned as righteous. Because Abraham is presented so positively as a model of faith for us, we may begin to think in our minds that Abraham was just this sterling example of a, a sinless man. When that's not the picture, he's, he's a model of faith, but he is not uh, uh, presented to us as a, a man without sin. He's one who needs to be reckoned as righteous, one who needs to be credited as righteous, the implication being that before that, being credited as righteous... He is not so. He is ungodly. That as the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, uh, uh, and unrighteousness, now we come to the man who is ungodly, but who will be made righteous by a gift from God. So consider that Abraham came from an idolatrous background. Joshua describes Abraham's father as being an idolater. And then consider also uh, in his life the various failings that uh, the various failings and sins of Abraham, the ways in which he failed to act righteously with his uh, with his neighbor, so lying to Pharaoh and to Abimelech about uh, the identity of Sarah going along with Sarah's plan to have offspring by Hagar. But perhaps one that we, we don't think of quite as commonly is think of the close kinship relation between Abraham and Sarah. Of the same father, though not of the same mother. Talk about a pastoral situation that no pastor ever 
wants to have to face. A couple comes into the church and they seem very friendly and, and you welcome them and, and we're very thankful for their, their conversion story, but then you have to do some marriage counseling with them. And you find out that they are very closely related kin. And you, as a, a, the person counseling them, have to work out what does an appropriate response to this look like. close relationship that will later be condemned um, in Leviticus. This is the way people behaved prior to uh, instruction in the law. They were ungodly. And yet this, this Abraham was justified, credited as righteous. So Abraham, a sinner, and the power of sin coming to expression in the deadness of his body. This is something that we also find, um, or there's an analogy that is drawn then between Abraham's dead body and then also the death that Christ experiences as he takes our sin upon himself. Look at the end of our passage in this description of Christ. Verse 24, this was written for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions. That where there is a dead body, sin is not far off. And so we come to this wonderful, amazing depth and truth of Scripture that as the righteous Son of God is delivered over for our transgressions, as he himself dies, we understand that sin was not far off. Not because he sinned, not because there was any personal guilt there, but because he had taken our transgressions upon himself. That he was crucified for our sins, that he experiences in his body and in the anguish of his soul the terminus of what sinners deserve. Namely, a cursed death on a cross. And it's through faith in this one and in the one who raised him from the dead that we obtain this new life that we said was possible for those who are dead to experience. So this brings us to our second point. How is it that we make this transition from a dead body, a, a body that is uh, consigned to death, to the possibility of resurrection life? We see in Abraham, who is going to be a model for those who are about to believe as well, that it's through a living faith. Abraham is described as possessing faith. Verse 17, Abraham believed this. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, 
He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So now, independently of the works of the law, apart from the works of the law, there is a righteousness that Abraham is going to obtain by faith. That as he trusts in the promise of God to give life to the dead, he believes that promise and it's counted to him as righteousness. A free gift. Righteous before God. Accredited to Abraham. Received by faith. Now Abraham is said to have considered the deadness of his own body. Some of you, if you're reading from the King James or the New King James, may have that he did not consider the deadness of his own body. And the, the manuscripts are, are divided on whether that, that negator is there. But whichever, whichever way we go, we, we, can, we can see how Abraham's faith comes out in this description. If it's that he didn't consider his body, it's that he took for granted that his body was dead. Of course it's dead. It's 100 years old. He took for granted that Sarah's womb was dead. Of course it's dead. She hasn't had a child in 90 years. And he still believes the promise. That he doesn't, he's, he's just not going to let it get in the way as an obstacle for his faith of what he is going to believe in the promise of God. That, that yeah, the body's dead, but this is not an obstacle for the power of God. Or if it's that he did consider his body, the, the sense could be, that he didn't take this lightly. He received the promise of God, and then he made an assessment. Is it plausible, humanly speaking, that this body, a hundred years old, that Sarah's barren womb, 90 years old, could ever generate life? And he does the calculation. He thinks about it. He considers it. And he comes to the conclusion, no, this is not possible by human power, by human potency. Nevertheless, I'm going to believe the promise of God. And yet, as we consider Abraham's sterling faith, we may be a little bit confused as we think about Abraham's life as it's recorded in Genesis. Our text says that he was not weakened in faith, that he did not waver in unbelief. Then we think about Genesis and the various things that happened, his taking of Hagar and having a child by her. Uh, <clears throat> you might say, well, that was, that was earlier on in Abraham's life. That was, he still had several years to go before Isaac would be born. But then consider also that even when Abraham is about a year off from the birth of Isaac, he says this, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Or consider that right before the birth of Isaac, we, are, we find the account of Abraham letting Abimelech take Sarah as his wife. And you think, well, if, if he were 
strongly believing the promise at that moment, wouldn't he have responded otherwise? Wouldn't he have said, no, you can't have her, I need her. We're, we're going to have a child together, and so you can't have her. And yet he's characterized as not being weak in faith, as not wavering in his faith. So here's an encouragement for you in your faith. What, what, is, what does it look like to have a, a strong faith, to not be weakened in faith, to be unwavering in the faith? Some have, have understood it in, in this sense, and I think this is a, a good explanation, that the, the weakness that Abraham is, is described as not having, the, the wavering that Abraham is described as not having, is a rejection of God's promise. That it's not this active unbelief that rebels against the promise of God and says, you're not able to do that. Uh, the sort of unbelief that would call into question God's power, that would not receive the promise with meekness and humility, but would quarrel with God, would enter into judgment with God, and would uh, nitpick and debate whether or not he's really able to do this. And so in our own pilgrimage, there are there are troubling thoughts that afflict the Christian. There are fiery darts that make us question, as some struggle with assurance. And we can ask, is, is somebody who is going through that able to say that they have the same faith that Abraham had? And by God's grace, we can say that, yes, even, even the person who has these, uh, these inner conflicts within them still expresses the faith of Abraham as he refuses to uh, quarrel with God's promise, as he doesn't enter into judgment with God, but meekly accepts uh, the statement, the promise that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead for us for our salvation, for our justification. And it's that, that meek attitude towards the Lord of receiving that promise that is the faith of Abraham. And so it's by this faith and by this faith alone that the dead receive new life. It's not through the works of the law it's not through anything in the body. Rather, the body itself is precisely what demonstrates the body's inability to gain life. It's Abraham's dead body, Sarah's dead womb, that precisely demonstrates that God's life-giving power does not come from human effort, but that it must come from God. And again, so it is with Jesus Christ as we look to him for our Salvation. That as we look to what is the end of sin, the end of sin is death, and what is the way out. No human is ever, no, no mere human, Jesus raised people from the dead, but no mere human is ever going to raise dead bodies unto eternal life. There are various efforts to to somehow avert death, 
permanently forever or to resurrect the dead. It's a very small minority, I think, but there are those who freeze their bodies in hopes that centuries down the road that their remains will still be viable enough for science to resurrect it unto new life. This is not where the power for eternal life comes from. It comes from God. And so God is to be trusted for his promise that he is able to do it, and he is to be glorified and worshipped for it. That faith glorifies God for his life-giving power. And we see this as having been displayed when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That with Jesus' vindication from the dead, we see our own justification. That as Jesus Christ is declared innocent and righteous, we also see in his resurrection unto new life by faith a statement about our own righteousness and our own resurrection. And so finally, consider that Abraham, though his body was dead because he had a living faith which trusted in the promise of God, that he is the father of those who would receive righteousness as a gift. We share Abraham's faith. We are reckoned as righteous by faith just as Abraham was reckoned righteous by faith. That Abraham laid hold of a promise that was contrary to everything in his bodily experience. Never seen a hundred-year-old man with a ninety-year-old wife give birth. And yet, contrary to that bodily experience, he believes the promise. There is that life that is given. So we also are presented with a, a, a truth in Scripture, but one which is contrary to what we have observed in our bodies. We have not seen anyone raised from the dead with our, with our physical eyes. We have not uh, um, been to a cemetery and seen uh, people presently coming out of their graves. But we have received this truth in God's word, that he did raise his son from the dead, and that he will raise us from the dead as well. So, as we think about what Abraham experienced, a, a promise that went contrary to everything that he knew in his body, so we, too, in, in Abraham's footsteps, believe a promise that is contrary to the present experience of what we find in our own bodies. Your status as a child of God in this present age is hidden. Your body doesn't show that manifested outwardly that you are justified. There will come a day when that will be openly manifested in your body that you have been justified by God and that will be a visible bodily proclamation. But right now, that truth is hidden. And this causes us much angst. Oh, how we long for the manifestation of our status as sons of God and how we long for that, that manifestation in our bodies. That we experience in our bodies something contrary to what God has promised will one day be the case. The verdict has already been rendered in the courtroom. But oh, how we long and wait for it to be published 
in the newspapers the next morning, when it will be openly manifest to all creation that we are accounted righteous before God, that we are accepted as his children. And so following in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham, a faith which believes the promise of God contrary to what he observes in his own body, we also should not draw eternal conclusions on the basis of our bodily condition. This is the case with respect to ourselves, and it's also the case with respect to other people. That I'm suffering some terrible affliction in my body. Does this mean that God has cast me off? Does this mean that I am not his child? Believe a promise. Believe a promise that is contrary to, diametrically opposed to, what you are experiencing in your body. That God gives life to the dead. That he raised his own son from the dead and that you belong to Jesus. But also with respect to others. Don't draw eternal conclusions based on what you see going on in their bodies. Well, if she were a Christian, or if she ever would become a Christian, she wouldn't have that kind of disease. If he really were a Christian, he wouldn't have suffered an accident in that kind of way. Or if that old man there was really going to be heir of the world, he wouldn't be a hundred years old and childless, would he? Abraham did not evaluate the promise of God on the basis of his own fleshly decay. He said he believed the promise. And we who are of Abraham's faith, we who are Abraham's offspring, are also called to believe that same promise, though looking at it from a different perspective, not looking forward to that seed that would come, but looking backward to that seed, Jesus Christ, who has already come. And so Jesus Christ, then, is the answer to that question with which we began. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? By faith, you may give thanks to God with Paul. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God, thanks be to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that by faith you have given us a perfect righteousness, that we stand before you not merely innocent, but as accepted as having a perfect righteousness, the active obedience of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you that this hope will one day uh, so uh, become reality and so overcome and empower us that it will eventually come to bodily expression. And until that day, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, that we would not grow weak, but that we would give glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.